Um, if you brought a Bible, I'll encourage you to uh, grab one and you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. Um, as a pastor, um, I get asked all sorts of interesting questions. Um, like some questions that you would be like, really? Someone asked you that? <laughs> really? About uh, 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 a whole variety of different topics. And usually it's something along the lines of like, well, Pastor Andrew, what does the Bible say about this topic? Or uh, I've had it like, I'm really passionate about this. You should preach a sermon about this topic sometime, this thing that I'm really passionate uh, about. Um, it could be, you know, as Christians, we need to talk about the the dangers of eating sugar, and it's really bad for you, and the Bible, you know, well, I don't think the Bible actually says anything about sugar or not, or, or the dangers of aspartame, and you shouldn't eat aspartame, you should actually eat sugar, and, and uh, I've had, you know, the, the fact that, well, in Daniel, they only ate vegetables, so maybe we should talk about how Christians should only be vegetables, and or be vegetables, <laughs> eat vegetables. See, it just makes me so mad that I can't even speak straight. No! Uh, or I, I've had lots of conversations about what does the Bible say about homeschooling? Is that how, what God wants? Is it evil to send your kids to public school or Christian school? Or you should preach a sermon about that and, and lay out what does the Bible say about this or that. Just recently, um, a lady came and asked me, uh, Pastor Andrew, what does the Bible say about cremation? I've heard that it's really bad and the Bible is against it. What does the Bible say about it? And I said, you know what the Bible says about cremation? Nothing. And she went, oh. But questions like this, right? People have certain ideas and they go, I want a definite answer, right? So for many of you, your world or you would like your world to be very black and white, right? What is the yes or no, right or wrong, black or white answer to Blah, this, this example of a question I have. And he, so here's what happens. We often take uh, a clear command or a passage of, of Scripture that teaches about this, and then we draw all of these conclusions about all of these other topics that this passage actually is not about at all. And then what happens is we Christians fight about the applications over here, if you don't believe me that we fight about things that actually aren't in the Bible, I have one word for you. COVID. Right? We spent two years. Let me give you an example, okay? So uh, Hebrews 10 says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints, right? Which every Christian would go, yeah, of course. As believers, we have to gather together, Right? But does Hebrews 10 say where we should gather? In our homes, in this church, in a gymnasium, at the cultural center? No. Does it say how big our gatherings have to be? If it's not over 100 people, it doesn't count as gathering. No, it actually doesn't. Does it say that it, what day of the week is Tuesday evening pagan? You can't gather with Christians on Tuesday. No. So, right, we took the command, Christians, don't neglect meeting together, and then we drew all of these implications, and then we argued over the implications that actually aren't in the Bible. So in, in chapters 8 to 10 in 1 Corinthians now, Paul now switches to address another issue, right? We've called this 
this series, Messy Church, and I hope you're seeing why. I mean, it was just a mess. It's like issue after issue after issue. So we just dealt with the issue of singleness and marriage and divorce. And now, Paul, in chapters 8 through 10, he's addressing a different issue that was going on in Corinth. And this issue was whether or not we should eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols. So this morning we have to do a bit of work because the... That's kind of a foreign idea to us. We don't argue about that anymore. Uh, And so we need to do a little bit of work to understand, well, why was that such a huge issue in the ancient world in Corinth? We need to know the background of what's going on there. But I think Paul's actually going to give us three helps, three points, in how do you and I deal with differences of opinions as believers? Like just how how do we navigate the debatable stuff? That's maybe not black and white like we want it to be. How do, how do we as, as Christians do that well? And I think in, in chapter 8, Paul gives us three really good helps to consider as we, as we navigate those things. So uh, if your Bibles are open, 1 Corinthians 8, and we'll start in verse 1. Uh, Paul says, now concerning food offered to idols. Okay, so here's the background. Okay, because now you'll, you'll notice that he's addressing something different. He goes, now, concerning this thing, right? So, and, and most likely, Paul is responding again to a question or a comment or a thought that the Corinthians had had in the letter they had written to him. And so, they had asked him something about food sacrificed to idols. And so, he goes, well, now, concerning that topic. So, like I said, this is kind of foreign to us. When you go to Savon afterwards, you're not going to be in the meat aisle looking at the pork chops going, I wonder if this was sacrificed to Baal. Like, none of us will do that, right? Or you go to Stan's butcher shop and, hey, did you, when you were cutting up my meat, did you offer this to Asherah or Zeus or whatever, right? There you go. Today's sermon brought to you by Stan's butcher shop. Uh, You can pay me after. Um, but we, don't, we, we really don't ask those questions, right? It's just not on our, our radar. I don't worry when I grocery shop if this food has been offered to a false god. But that was the culture of the day. If you remember, in Corinth, there were just temples everywhere to all sorts of gods. You had Zeus and Artemis and Baal and Asherah and all of these different gods had all of their different temples, and and animal sacrifice was just a regular part of their worship. And what you would do to your, let's say I'm going to the temple of Baal to offer a sacrifice to Baal, I would bring an animal, and the priests of Baal would divide it up, and a part they would burn as a sacrifice to Baal, Um, a part the priests would keep as kind of like my payment for me doing this sacrifice for you. And then you had all of this leftover meat, which sometimes would be eaten right there, but more often than not, that meat would then be taken and sold in the marketplace. And you just had marketplaces full of meat that had been used in this sacrifice ritual. Now, not only that, but temples then in that day and age would have banquet rooms in the temple that you could rent out for a wedding for a birthday, for a funeral. So if you think of our lower auditorium, sometimes uh, people come and they want to rent it out for different activities or things like that or a wedding or a funeral and we have a tea downstairs afterwards. It was kind of like that. You could go to the temple and then offer your sacrifice and then have your birthday party in the temple banquet hall and eat all the food that you had just sacrificed. Um, Trade guilds would meet there. So if you're uh, uh, a blacksmith and then you're a part of this trade guild, they would hold their meetings in the temples. 
And meals were just a regular part of the worship of these false gods. Now, Gentiles who had become believers probably frequented these dining rooms all the time. One scholar actually said that there's evidence that these, these temple dining rooms served as restaurants in the ancient world. That you could just go to the temple banquet hall and pay and eat some of the food that was there. So here's the question, right? That's the world that they're, they're living in. And then you have Gentiles who, who grew up doing that. And then they become believers. And so the question is, well, what do we do about meat sacrifice to idols? Can I go to the marketplace and buy meat? Because it is impossible to tell. It's not like they have a sign. This meat was sacrificed to so-and-so. There was no way to tell. So do I go and buy meat? Has that meat been tainted now because it was offered in this ritual? What if, what if my neighbor invites me to their wedding at the banquet hall at the temple? What do I do? Do I go and partake or is that evil now? Now here's what I think. I think the Corinthians probably wanted a yes or no answer. Meat sacrificed to idols, Paul. Yes or no? Paul, it's black or white. And what you will see in chapters 8 through 10 is Paul is going to answer this question, but he doesn't give a yes or no answer. <laughs> Do you want to know why? Because it actually depends on the circumstances. So listen, if you're someone who just loves your world to be black and white, this is going to really bother you. <laughs> because Paul doesn't say, here is the yes or no answer. He says, well, actually, in this case, do this. In this situation, do this. So let's, let's keep going. Okay, so concerning food offered to idols, verse 1. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something... He does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So here's Paul's, like I said, Paul's going to give us three things. How do we navigate differences of opinions? His first point is this. Christian behavior should primarily be based on love and not on knowledge. So I'm going to, you, you got to hear the word primarily, <laughs> Your behavior as a follower of Jesus should primarily be based on love, not just knowledge. So Paul uh, says in verse 1, and it's in quotes in your Bibles most likely, all of us possess knowledge. This was most likely one of those Corinthian sayings. If you remember earlier, Paul was responding to, all things are lawful for me. And that was what the Corinthians were saying. So this was another slogan that they said, all of us possess knowledge. Right? So remember, the Corinthians, they are obsessed with wisdom and knowledge. They want to be seen as being so wise and so knowledgeable. And, and so they're, they're starting, they're, they're, I mean, their, their catchphrase was, well, we all have knowledge. And Paul says, okay, yes, but this knowledge puffs up. It makes you arrogant. It makes you prideful. Love, on the other hand, actually builds up. If you think that you know, right, like I am so smart, I know what to do in every situation, Paul says, you actually don't know yet as you ought to know. Isn't that interesting? These people who were so obsessed with knowledge, I know what to do in every situation, and I'm so wise. Paul says, you think you know, but you actually don't know as you ought to know. And if you love God, right, in verse 3, if anyone loves God, you're actually known 
by God, right? They were obsessed with knowing uh, mysteries about God. And And Paul says, but if you actually love God, not only will you know him, but you'll actually be known by him. So the Corinthians, they were basing their Christian behavior on this kind of knowledge that was puffing them up and making them uh, arrogant. So it's like this, my, my knowledge, my deep understanding gives me certain rights and freedoms so I can do whatever I want because I'm so enlightened. And Paul's whole point is knowledge is very important. Don't, don't hear it wrong. It's not like, oh, great, we don't have to worry about knowledge. No, knowledge is very important. But it should not be the primary ground for your behavior. What is the primary ground for your behavior as a follower of Jesus? It should be the love of God and the love of others. So it's like you can kind of read between the lines. All of us possess knowledge, and you'll, and you'll read it a little bit later. But essentially, the Corinthians were saying, I can eat whatever I want, wherever I want. And if it bothers other Christians, that's their problem. They don't know as much as I do. Right? We all have knowledge. They should know like I know. And Paul says that kind of knowledge will actually just destroy other people. It's prideful to, to, to act like that. So how do we deal with differences of opinions? I think Paul, first of all, would say we approach differences of opinions with love for one another. Start where people are, not where you think they should be. That is the way of love. So um, when I was going to school, I, uh, in between years of study, for the summer months, I would go find different jobs to try and earn money to pay for the next year's schooling. And so one year there was a, uh, a factory in Langley that made PVC pipe. So different sizes of PVC pipe, some for sewer and some for all these kind of things. And so I worked, worked in a factory for a summer on the assembly line, uh, watching PVC pipe be made and doing tests to make sure it was all good. And, and about a week into uh, working at this job, my supervisor put me on the line that was making like the big pipe, right, for like sewers. And in this, this one, what would happen is it would, because it had to be kind of molded into the shape on the end so it could connect to the next pipe. And so it would go into this oven and it would heat up and then this mold would kind of press it in. But you had to be really good and watch because if it stayed in too long, well, plastic in an oven catches fire. And I don't know if you know this, but like the smell and the fumes from burning plastic It's not very good for you. Uh, So they put me on this line, and I had been working at the factory for a week, and so I'm on this line, and I hadn't really been trained a lot, and the pipe goes in, and it catches fire, and there is like smoke billowing out of this thing, and then it's like you hit the safety thing, and and everyone has to clear away from the the fire because Andrew's going to kill all of us. And it was then that I was like, I should be a pastor. I should not do manual labor. But here's the problem. It was, the supervisor was like, you, don't you know how to work this line? You've been here for a week. And I'm like, exactly, right? Don't, don't, don't judge me based on where you think I should be. This is where I am. I have no idea how to run this line. And it was just kind of like, well, why don't you? I'm not there yet, right? So I, I use that silly illustration because we do that 
when it comes to our opinions about certain things. You don't. You don't think the way. You, you think that you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols? Yes, you can. Why don't you think the way that I think? Don't you have as much knowledge as me? And Paul's saying that is not the way of love. That is the way of knowledge, and it puffs you up. So listen, a great thing to remember is as followers of Jesus, start where people are, not where you think they should be. Um, so let me give you a few more uh, examples of this. Um, and this, well, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. So a hot topic in our culture is the use of pronouns. Should I, should I call someone pronouns that clearly don't match reality? And as a Christian, what do I do? How do I interact with people? So you hold a few things in tension. We know that God is the one who, who authors reality. And there is male and female. And it, it doesn't really matter what you feel like. You are what you are. And yet we operate out of hospitality and grace. So when a new person comes to church and they say, uh, would you mind calling me by these pronouns? Should I go, no, get out of here. How dare you? You're a liberal. Or do I go, okay, that's where you are. That's where you are. This is where I am. I'm going to meet you where you're at. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you experience freedom from that but I'm not going to puff my chest up and go, I have more knowledge than you about this. I'm going to take the way of love. And, and that might look different for different people. Right? Start where people are, where, where they're at, not where you think they should be, and show grace to them as you lovingly teach them the, the truth. But we, we just do this so poorly all the time. We have such strongly held opinions in the church. And listen, your strongly held opinion, it might be right. But then what we do is we impose our opinion on, on, on others and then we expect them, why aren't you where I am? That's not the way of love. That's the way of knowledge. Um, so if, if I can just be really frank, um, years ago we had a transgender person come to our church and in the first sermon, service that they were here, someone in our church came up to them and said, I know your secret. Why are you here? That's not the way of love. That's expecting them to be where you are. And yes, you can have your convictions, but you can still treat people with love and with grace. So I love that Paul begins this whole section. How do we deal with eating idle meat and differences of opinion? He says, actually, the starting point is that you pursue the way of love, not strictly knowledge. Your Christian behavior and interactions with other people should be based on love. All right, secondly, how do we deal with differences among believers? Um, we embrace them. So verse four, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom, all, whom are all things and for whom we exist, 
and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former associations with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. So Paul's whole second point is how do, how do we deal with differences among believers is we in we embrace the differences. Paul affirms in verse, verses 4 to 6 that the Corinthians' view of idol meat is probably correct, right? Their, their idea that, well, it doesn't really matter about meat sacrificed to idols. Paul kind of affirms that. He goes, yeah, you're right, right? He, he says, an idol has no real existence. Like literally, in those days, if you go into the temple, maybe made out of gold or wood or metal, they would have a statue of a, an idol. And Paul says, that's actually just nothing. It's like looking at this and going, oh, mighty pulpit. He's like, that's just ridiculous. This is nothing. It's wood and metal, right? He says, so you're right, sacrificing to an idol, it doesn't mean anything. He says, for us, there's only one God. People have so-called gods and lords like Baal and Artemis and blah, 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 on and on. But in reality, Paul says, there's one God and there is one Lord through whom all things are created and who, uh, uh, through whom all things exist. Now, Paul's not denying the reality of spiritual forces. Were there demons connected to idol worship? Yeah, Absolutely. But is Baal really a god? No, he's nothing. And so is meat that was taken to the temple and sacrificed to a wooden statue of some god, does that meat somehow get infused with specialness? He goes, no. Idols aren't anything. So look, isn't it amazing? Paul is agreeing with the Corinthians. Right? Idol meat is not a big deal. But then he says in verse 7, however... This is where we don't like Paul. (laughs) He just gave the answer. However, Paul says, not all people possess this knowledge. Not everyone thinks that way. Some, formerly associated with idol worship, view food as really offered to a real false god. So some people, some Gentiles who were saved out of that, when they went to the temple and offered meat to Baal, they viewed Baal as being real, a real God. And their sacrifices meant something, even though Paul says they didn't. But to them, it was real to them. And so, Paul says, their conscience being weak, if they were to go and eat idle meat or participate in a banquet at a temple, then they would just be destroyed. Some people in the Corinthian church were saved out of idol worship, and now if they were to go back and eat meat that was sacrificed there, it would feel like a betrayal of their loyalty and devotion to Jesus. Paul says, even though it's not, it would feel like it to them. And I love that he says in verse 8, food doesn't commend you to God or not. You're not not worse off if you eat idol meat. You're not better off if you do. Food is neutral. It's not right or wrong. So like I said at the beginning, this bothers some of us because we want everything in the world to be in two categories. It is either right or wrong. It is either black or white. It's yes or no, right? And, and so those categories exist, right? Right and wrong exist. Ten commandments, we would say, right. That's in the good yes column. And the opposite of the ten commandments are wrong. And we put them in that column. But then we want to fit Everything else 
into those two categories. Did you know biblically there's actually a third category? There is right and wrong, and then you can put up the slide, and there is adiaphora. It's your Greek word of the day. Biblically speaking, adiaphora means indifferences. Uh, in Romans 14.1, it's translated in your Bible as opinions. There is right and there is wrong, and there's a big category called adiaphora. It's, it's something that's not right or wrong. It's indifferent. It's, it's an opinion. Meat, the, 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 the topic of uh, eating meat sacrificed to idols, it's, it's adiaphora. Some people can eat with a clear conscience, and some people can't. And Paul says you're not better off if you do, and you're not better off if you don't. In Romans 14, the, the, the topic in question is uh, keeping the Sabbath, honoring certain days as holy or not. And Paul says it's your opinion. Should I keep this day or, or all days the same? It's, it's adiaphora. Have it in your mind what is right and live that way. So like I said, we don't have uh, arguments over meat sacrificed to idols, but we have so many examples that we put into categories of right and wrong that are actually adiaphora. It's, it's indifferent. It's your opinion. Do you want to hear some? I'm going on sabbatical, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> should, should I take my kids trick-or-treating? Some would say, that is Satan's birthday. Don't! And some would say, well, if I put a, a Paw Patrol outfit on my kid and go to my neighbor's house and get some candy, what's the harm in that? It's adiaphora. It's not right or wrong. See, I, I grew up, and my parents laugh about it now, but Halloween, their view was that it was Satan's birthday, and they would literally put garbage bags up in all of our windows, and they would turn all the lights off, and we would like, we're going to have games in the basement, and uh, if the doorbell rings, don't move, because we, we're not home, and we don't participate, and now it's, it's hilarious, because I grew up... Uh, never participating in anything. And now my parents are like handing out full chocolate bars. to the, I'm like, what? Where was that 30 years ago? Because it's funny. I had a conversation with my dad and he said, what night of the year does everyone in my neighborhood come to my house? And I have a chance to talk with them. And yet if a family goes, actually, we're not going to participate in Halloween. Okay. It's not right or wrong. Um, should you tell your kids about Santa Claus? Rearrange the letters, Satan Claus. But some families are like, no, that is, that is pagan. We're not going to do that. And some families go, what's the harm? It's, it's odd diaphora. Like, did you know that historically uh, there's evidence that Christmas trees date back to the Roman Empire? And what they would do is take a tree and put it inside, and it was an offering to one of their gods to kind of get through the colder months, and this is reference. So did you have a Christmas tree this year? Pagans! But we do that. It's adiaphora. Should you have a tree or not? It actually doesn't matter. It's your opinion. Should I participate in like a, a neighborhood Easter egg hunt? No! Easter eggs are not what Easter is about. Or someone would go, hey, I'm going to go meet my... My neighbors interact with them. It's, it's adiaphora. Can, can Christians drink alcohol? For some, it's like, yeah, I enjoy wine with dinner. And for others, they, they go, no, we're not going to touch the stuff. Okay, it's adiaphora. 
Should we sing hymns or choruses in church? It's adiaphora. Yes, but in Second Opinions 4.12, it says that only hymns are allowed. It's not in there, right? It's just not. You have your preference, and God bless you, right? As I get older, I actually enjoy hymns way more than the new music, but that doesn't mean that we're going to go from now on. The biblical thing to do is, is only hymns or only courses. It's an opinion. It's adiaphora. I, I mentioned it earlier. Should you homeschool your kids or, or send them to Christian school or public school? It's your opinion. So listen, I need to tell you, as a Christian, you need a big category of adiaphora, because that is how you show grace to each other. And do you want to know what the worst kind of church is? A graceless church. And the worst kind of Christian is a graceless Christian who draws all sorts of lines in the sand and say, I'm right about all these topics, and it's black and white. But it's not. Listen, so many of you grew up like this, because I've had conversations with you. You grew up in, in different communities that preached that there was no audiophora, that we're going to draw the line in the sand over absolutely everything. And I've talked with you as you've come and you've heard the gospel, and many of you have said, man, there's so much freedom in following Jesus. Yes, isn't it amazing? The way of love and grace is to embrace the differences, and so if I'm going to go and trick-or-treat with my kids, I don't have to tell everyone, all of you must do what I do. No. If you're going to stay home, I don't care. It's adiaphora. So Paul, I, I think he's saying, right, yes, e eating meat, sacrifice to idols, it, it actually doesn't matter. Verse 8, you're not worse off if you eat, and you're not worse off if you don't. It is adiaphora. It is an opinion based on your conscience. But lastly, Paul ends with this third help to us. Do not use your freedom to tear others down. So verse 9, he says this, But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you uh, who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Like, listen, you have an incredible amount of freedom as a follower of Jesus. You do. But I love that Paul kind of tethers that freedom by going, but actually, do not use your freedom to, to, to be a stumbling block to other brothers and sisters in Christ. And the example he gives is amazing. He's like, okay, so yes, we all know, right? Meat sacrificed to idols is nothing. But if a brother or sister in Christ sees you eating in a temple, even though you know these idols aren't real and this meat doesn't matter, they don't know that. Their conscience is weak, and because of your living out your freedoms, you've destroyed your brother. And when you do that, you're actually sinning against your brother or sister in Christ and wounding them. And actually, he goes so far to say that when you use your freedom without consideration of your brothers and sisters in Christ, you not only sin against them, you sin against Jesus. And so Paul ends by saying, if food is going to make one of my brothers and sisters stumble, I will never eat meat again for their sake. 
isn't that so counter to the Corinthian? Well, well, we all have knowledge. Why aren't they where I'm at? And Paul goes, I'm actually not going to force them to be where I'm at. I'm actually going to sacrifice for them. So you and I may have differences of opinion, these disputable matters, and we can learn to embrace the adiaphora, but all the while, all the decisions I make should be thinking of my brother and sister in Christ, right? So I've, I've shared before, right, um, the idea of Christians enjoying wine, right? My wife and I, we like to have wine with dinner. Now, if there was a new couple in the church, let's say, who uh, are both recovering alcoholics and followers of Jesus, Am I going to serve wine when we have them over for dinner? No. That, is, that would just destroy them. And my attitude could be, well, you're free in Christ now. You should enjoy it. You should be like me. But Paul says, no, actually, don't live like that. If it's, it's going to hurt their conscience and it's going to destroy them, just don't do it. So, like, you know what? Like, if I'm going to meet someone, hey, do you want to go to Mighty Peace and have a beer as we talk over stuff? And they're like, ah, actually, I'm trying to, like, get away from that. Oh, okay. Let's go to Starbucks. I don't have to insist on their freedom just because I have that freedom. And vice versa, right? The person who's, who's weaker in the conscience in that area, they don't, they don't then judge me and go, how dare you ask me to come over and have wine with you? And we just, no, we show each other grace, but don't destroy someone over your freedom, right? If I'm going to go see a movie with someone and I know that, you know, it's not bad, but there might be a questionable scene that lasts 10 seconds, but the rest of the movie is great. And my brother struggles with sexual immorality and purity. Would I go, well, just come. I'll cover your eyes for you. No, I would go, let's go do something else. I'm not willing to destroy you for the sake of my freedom, so listen, you have to understand, everything you do affects relationships within the body of Christ. And as we live with this freedom in Jesus, we have to be aware of that and not be willing to use our freedom to just tear others down. Like what Paul says at the end, would I be, this really challenged me this week, would I be willing to give up my freedoms and rights permanently for the sake of others? And if I'm honest, I said this week, no. Like, sinfully, I said that. No, I would not be willing to give up my freedoms for someone else. And yet Paul says, if I know that eating meat makes people stumble, then I'm going to be a vegetarian. And in our day and age, we go, you're crazy, Paul. You shouldn't have to give up your freedoms just because someone's not where you're at. But even Galatians 5.13, Paul says a similar thing. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. So listen, as we close, you have to hear this. You, you do. You have an incredible amount of freedom as a follower of Jesus. Right? We don't, we don't live these legalistic lives where we draw lines in the sand over adiaphora and make them hills that we die on. You have an unbelievable amount of freedom. And yes, don't hear me wrong, we have clearly laid out categories of right and wrong. We do. Right? I'm not saying that everything is in adiaphora. No, we have right and wrong, and yet we have this, this middle section of opinions and, and indifferences and disputable matters. So listen, I would encourage you, you have to learn to, to have a big category called adiaphora. And here's what happens when you take an opinion of yours 
and then you force it into the categories of right or wrong, I am convinced that that's when you begin to tear down your brothers and sisters in Christ. So yes, embrace the differences. But I would say let the primary driving force of your Christian behavior be love. Love for Jesus and love for your brothers and sisters who, who aren't necessarily where you're at. If you lived like that, if you said, okay, I'm going to have a big category called disputable matters, and I'm not going to force my opinions into the categories of right or wrong, and then I'm going I'm to primarily live my Christian life based on love for God and love for my brothers and sisters, if you live like that, you won't tear your brothers and sisters down. And then what happens is that the world sees a church that, yes, preaches the truth, and yet we show grace to one another. And I'm, I'm convinced that people would say, I actually want to be a part of that. So I, I can tell you why, because that transgender person that came, um, I'm actually still friends with them. And I have clearly laid out, this is my belief Right and wrong, here's how I view it, and yet we go for lunch, we go for coffee, we connect, we text each other. Why? This is not to go, yay, Andrew, I much trembling went into this, like, I don't know how to, how to act in this area. But what I did is I'm going to primarily lead with love and grace and ask the Holy Spirit, give me opportunities to speak the truth about what I believe. And we have had many heated arguments and debates and yet it's like, still friends? Yeah. So it's possible, right? And I think the world is craving for something like that. We have made the world into two camps, and we just bicker and argue over everything. What if there was the church that said, yes, we hold to the, to the orthodox, evangelical belief of the authority of Scripture, and yet we also show grace and, and humility to one another, people that we disagree with, I, I think this place would be full because people are so hungry for that, aren't they? So, Father, I just thank you um, that your word, yet again, is just so applicable to us. Um, Father, forgive me when um, I have just wanted the world to just fit into my categories and I, I've held my opinions, but I've actually made them more than just opinions. I've made them. This is the gospel truth. It's right or wrong based on what I think. Uh, and it just destroys people when we live like that. So God, I pray that we would be people who know the categories of right and wrong. Yes, we need to know what your word says explicitly about sexuality and relationships and right and wrong. Yes, God, but I pray that we would be a church that just allows this middle area of adiaphora that goes, you know what, th th these are debatable opinions. And we're going to hold to our opinions, but we're actually going to treat each other with love and grace and respect because it's not right or wrong. God, I pray that we as disciples of you would pursue the way of love and not just knowledge. Knowledge is so important, but I pray that our Christian behavior would be rooted primarily in our love of you, Jesus, and our love of one another as brothers and sisters, that we would learn to embrace these differences that exist among us, and yet we would not use our freedom in you, Jesus, to tear each other down. I just pray that 
our mindset would be, okay, is my, is my decision here based on this topic going to build someone up or is it going to tear them down? And if it's going to tear them down, then I don't need to participate in that for the sake of my brother or sister. Um, help us to be a church that is just filled with grace, not at the, the consequence of, of losing the truth, of course not, but that we would clearly speak the truth and yet it would be so filled with grace and love that people would be drawn to that, Jesus. So just do that work in our hearts, God. It's hard work to, to live with this adiaphora. It's hard because so many of us, our opinions are right. We want them to be right. And so help us, God. We need your Holy Spirit to just soften our hearts and fill us with love and grace for one another. And that in all of that, that Jesus, your name would be lifted up and that people would be drawn to a group of people in this town that speak the truth and yet are so gracious with each other. So help us to live like that, Jesus. And so I just pray all of this in your mighty name, God. Amen.